I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. As savings rates fall further, we have some top tips on squeezing the most from your cash. We look at so-called defensive stocks. Can shares in food, energy and pharmaceutical companies still protect your portfolio? And we answer this question from a worried listener. I'm a small shareholder in Lloyd's. I bought 2,300 shares a year ago, paying around £4 per share. The shares are now worth 50p or a pound. Should I sell and move the remaining cash into something not financial to recover my loss? Should I hang on in there, or should I buy some more while they're still cheap? All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Charlene Goff... Hello. Steve Lodge. Hello. And Lucy Warwick-Ching. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week's announcement that the Consumer Price Index had fallen less than expected to 3% was more bad news for savers, as it means basic rate taxpayers now need to find an account paying 3.75% in order to offset the effects of inflation and tax. Not an easy task. In fact, with some accounts paying as little as 0.1%, consumer groups are now voicing concern that households will simply stop putting money aside in savings accounts. But there are still ways to position yourself to ensure you receive the best possible returns on your cash. Um, Charlene, it is very difficult now for people to, to earn any kind of decent return, but are there any top tips that, uh, that you can give um, for finding a decent interest rate? There are some top tips, and I think as rates generally come down quite rapidly, it's more and more important that people do take heed of these. I don't think any rates are particularly attractive at the moment, but some are much more attractive than others. And rather than taking, like you say, 0.1 or even less uh, than 0.1%, people can at least get 2 or 3% um, and bring themselves up close to at least sort of evening out inflation. I think one point to mention is that banks tend to punish uh, loyal customers, which doesn't sound very fair, but they think once they've got you in the door, you've had your initial offer, um, you know, six months or a year into the account, you could see your rate come down quite sharply. So banks tend to have much higher rates for new customers and much lower rates for those that have been with them a few years. So it's those older accounts that could be paying sort of 0.1 or even 0.01%, which basically nothing for your, for your savings account. Uh, there are banks so 
Alliance and Leicester, for example, offers 2% to customers in its reward saver account, but just 0.1% to customers who have an instant access account and have had it for some time. So quite a big differential. So no rewards for being loyal to an account that you've had for a long time. And I suppose the general advice is you've got to be prepared to move, but move quickly as a lot of these rates are disappearing fast. They are disappearing fast. And yes, that that is definitely good advice. Don't dither around. Uh, Have a look at what's out there and get in there as quickly as you can. I think interest rates could come down again, uh, you know, down to half or even a quarter percent. So we could see further cuts in the coming months. And then the other question is who you switch to. And this can be This is quite an interesting one because on one side, savers want the security of maybe going for big banks, big household names, but actually they're not offering the best rates and some of the most attractive rates are coming from very small institutions, those that you might not even have heard of. I think there's a really good rate at the moment from the Beverly Building Society, which is a tiny organisation in Yorkshire that I think has two branches. Um, Whether people that live outside the area can get in. I I don't know whether they'd feel particularly safe putting all their money with an institution they might not really have heard of. But they are offering some of the best rates and other other building societies like the Coventry or the Yorkshire Building Society also has, has quite good rates, particularly if savers are willing to tie their money in for a year or so. Another point is the way in which you go and search for these rates. It might cost quite a lot to travel to Beverly, for example, but uh, if you tread the pavement and go into a branch, you generally get a worse rate than if you telephone or use the internet. Yes, that's true, and I think that's just the cost of, of manning a branch and the hours they have to put in to serve you face-to-face. There are there are much better rates online, uh, on the phone, um, but it depends whether you have access. You know, a number of pensioners, for example, might not be too savvy when it comes to, comes to the internet and, and going online, but they would be benefited if they they would see benefit if they could get get a rate that way. So it's definitely worth getting someone to do an internet search for you. Uh, Steve, you're our resident rate watcher and best deal finder. What's caught your eye this week in terms of savings rates? Well, Matthew, the the account that I've looked at for um, deal of the week this week is actually paying a a very high rate of 7%. It's an ISA rate, so that's tax-free. Furthermore, it's it's fixed as well. So, I mean, I think we should make the point that with base rates 1%, it's actually really quite surprising that you are seeing rates as high as they are. I mean, Charlie mentioned twos and threes. That's really not bad when rates are just one. Base rate, the base rate is just one. This is paying 7 Inevitably, there are catches. It's from the Saffron Building Society, and there's a similar account out there from First Direct, although with the First Direct one, you need to be a current account customer. It is one of these regular savings accounts that I've banged on about in the past. So the trouble with it is you, can own, you can't put the entire £3,600 allowance in straight away and earn that 7%. You can only drip feed it in at three, up to £300 a month. So effectively, the rates that you'd be getting on the full £3,600 would be less than 7% because you're only earning 7% on the first month's worth of money and then the second month and so on. Yes, I mean, uh, you're earning 7% on the money when they've got it. And don't forget when they haven't got it, you're earning money elsewhere. But in reality, the pounds interest you will earn is about equivalent to a rate of 38 
if you were to lump sum invest £3,600 now. And there are some other quirks with this account. Take it out now and actually you can only put £600 of this this year's cash allowance in and you're tied into that deal for next tax year as well. So it might not suit people. But the Society did tell me this week that they would also accept post-dated applications. So if you wanted to do a post-dated application for 2009-10, the, the tax year starting on April the 6th, you can do that as well. So basically you can apply now for your next lot of ISAs? Yes, indeed. And um, while um, there are catches here, for anyone who's saving out of income, a regular savings account of £300 a month might suit them. Many people, of course, in these cash-straightened times don't have £3,600 sitting in their pocket. True. And uh, thanks for that, Steve and Charlene. And for more on getting uh, the best savings rates and how safe your money is in different types of account, see this weekend's FT Money, Inside the Weekend FT, or go online at ft.com forward slash money. Remember that you can also send in your questions to be answered by experts by emailing us at our new address, money at ft.com. Stock market investors have also been finding it hard to protect their capital, let alone produce any kind of meaningful return, with the FTSE rally petering out in early January and the index dipping back below the 4,000 mark earlier this week. Even so-called defensive stocks have suffered falls, leading some fund managers to question if they are defensive at all. So to get some answers to that question, I spoke to my FT Money colleague Alice Ross earlier this week. Alice, why are managers calling defensives into question? Well, there's a couple of reasons why managers are looking at defensives with perhaps not such a positive eye at the moment. Um, One reason is that... uh, some of them think that defensives are a little overpriced. People have been paying a lot of money for this kind of perceived safety of defensives. I mean, people were moving into them late last summer and they've been buying them up for months now. So some of their prices have gone way up and people are starting to say, well, is it really worth it? And particularly some of the defensives are coming out and sounding not quite as defensive as you would have hoped. Some of the food companies have been issuing profit warnings. So they're starting to look a little bit shaky. But another big reason is that people are almost moving away from the concept of a defensive stock. In previous recessions, it's all been about the nature of a company's business. So if it was kind of supplying what were seen as essentials like water and and food and um, tobacco companies always did very well and pharmaceuticals, you know, healthcare, things that people really need. But now it's all about uh, how strong is the company and how strong is its balance sheet. And some companies that have been traditionally defensive, like the pub companies, have got themselves into massive debt. They're hugely overleveraged, so people aren't really touching them with a barge pole. Even pharmaceuticals, people are raising issues over those because a lot of their patents are due to expire this year and next year. And there's issues over whether or not they'll still be able to carry on producing drugs. So people are starting to look behind the nature of companies a bit more. So if pub companies, tobacco companies, utilities, pharmaceuticals, all the traditional defensive sectors um, aren't good for protecting the value of your capital, uh, what are they good for? Well, one main reason why you would buy a defensive at the moment is for the income. Defensives are still paying very good dividends, uh, around 6%, a lot of them actually. Uh, And that's just great in an environment at the moment where people are getting close to nothing on their savings. So anything that can pay you a 6% yield is looking pretty good at the moment. And also because of the, uh, interestingly, because of the weakness of sterling and the strength of the dollar, that's also helping these dividends to stay strong because a lot of these companies pay their dividend in dollar terms and have earnings overseas. But if you are a capital growth 
investor and you are not looking for income, but you don't like the look of defensives from a growth point of view. Are there other sectors that are perhaps not looking quite so overpriced that might offer more value? Well, yeah, I mean, basically cyclicals. It's when people start thinking maybe they'll move out of defensives and maybe they're getting a bit overpriced. That's when you would typically start to move back into cyclicals if you think that the economy is kind of uh, turning around now. I mean, that's just massively controversial at the moment because nobody really knows what's going on and most people are pretty bearish on the economy. But if you want to be a bit contrarian, some fund managers are starting to buy cyclicals that they think are still going to be around in a few years' time. Uh, Burberry is one that a couple of people have mentioned. Everyone seems to like that at the moment. But the risk with buying cyclicals is that everyone thinks that there are going to be uh, more companies just not even making it through the recession. There are going to be more cases like Woolworths. Um, and that's the biggest risk with going into cyclicals. That was Alice Ross, and for more on defensives, you can read her article in the money section of the FT this weekend and online at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, your questions answered. Last week, investors in Lloyd's Banking Group were reminded that the newly merged megabank has no defensive qualities whatsoever, losing more than a third of its stock market value in a single day after news of a £10 billion loss at HBOS. In fact, to some, it's now more of an offensive holding, given the £120 million worth of bonuses it still intends to pay staff. So if you're a shareholder, do you now sell? Which was the question that was put to Lucy this week. Philip Hunt from Devon contacted FT Money with this question. I'm a small shareholder in Lloyd's. I bought 2,300 shares a year ago, paying around £4 per share. The shares are now worth 50p or a pound. Should I sell and move the remaining cash into something not financial to recover my loss? Should I hang on in there or should I buy some more while they're still cheap? I'm here with Richard Hunter, head of UK equities at Hargreaves Lansdowne, to answer Philip's question. So, Richard, should he be worried and should he be perhaps thinking about selling his shares? Well, the the overall market view at the moment, taking um, all of the views of of various analysts into account, Mm -hmm. is is what you might call a weak hold. So it's certainly not an outright sell. Mm -hmm. Um, But, of course, the reason it's a weak hold are for those fears of nationalisation. And what about perhaps the idea that because the share price has gone down by so much and they're actually looking relatively cheap now, that perhaps it's time to buy Lloyd shares? Within that spectrum of analysts' opinion at the moment, there are going to be a couple of analysts out there who are saying exactly that, this is, this is time to buy. As we've already mentioned, the overall average is, is tending towards a weak hold, but there are a couple of bulls of the stock out there. What you've got to imagine, and it's very much going to uh, depend on Mr Hunt's attitude to risk as much as anything else, is that you are basically buying option money, if you like, in terms of the fact that the share price is so low on the uh, the uh, combined group coming out of this the other side. Of course, the worst scenario is that the uh, Lloyd's Banking Group were to go into nationalisation, and clearly at that stage you, you've uh, you're pretty much going to end up with nothing. So I think if you've already got an exposure to Lloyd's Banking Group, that's probably as much as you would want at the moment. Okay, and if other listeners are thinking about the fact that they've got other bank shares, do you think they should be worried about these as well, and should people be moving out of bank shares? The situation changes slightly of 
course, if, if you had a portfolio in which you had a number of banking shares and perhaps you didn't have that diversification which any portfolio should have, you, you might be looking to trim some of those banks anyway. Overlaid uh, on top of that, of course, is a simple fact that in general terms that the UK banking sector um, is, is fairly weakly viewed by the market at the moment. There are probably two exceptions just about. They are HSBC who are seen as having a a massive regulatory uh, capital cushion and therefore very unlikely to need to go to the market for additional funds. And the other one is probably Standard Chartered, an an oft-forgotten UK bank that's listed in terms of the FTSE 100, who, um, as the name would suggest, have much more of an exposure to Asia and have been growing the business aggressively. But certainly in terms of the UK banks uh, that that leaves, which is basically RBS, Barclays and, of course, Lloyds Banking Group, um, the tendency is is again to be on on the sort of weak hold front on the basis that even at this late stage nationalisation is a remote possibility uh, for any one of those. That was Richard Hunter of stockbroker Hargreaves Lansdowne. And Lucy, we've heard since the big fall in Lloyd's shares that the market is already making up its mind about how good a holding it is, certainly in terms of its credit rating. Um, Yes, Matthew. Lloyd's Banking Group, um, which is what it's now known as, um, has until recently held the highest credit rating. But this week it was actually downgraded. Um, And now its rating is on a par with something like Barclays and RBS. And this is the problem for shareholders, isn't it? I mean, they really need to decide whether or not they're going to play bank stocks in the short term, these very short, sharp movements in share prices, or whether they're going to be long-term investors, and some of them don't seem to be able to make this choice. I think that's true, Matthew. I mean, banks have long been private investor favourites for investments, long-term investments, paying great dividends. We're obviously in a different world now where banks don't really pay dividends. And we've actually seen um, a hell of a lot of trading, buying and selling um, by private investors of banks, obviously hoping to catch the bottom and then sell out at the top. Um, I think there's also a lot of people selling out when they're panicking, when there's, uh, banks have fallen and the fears that, that, that the bank will be nationalised. Um, yes, I mean, I think the question for people is, can you afford to play in this game? Um, could you afford to lose the money? If you can afford to lose the money, great, this may be an opportunity to buy banks on the cheap for the the long-term recovery that hopefully we'll we'll see. But don't forget, you could lose absolutely everything in a nationalisation or in further capital raisings or capital restructurings. So you really need to look at your overall portfolio and how much you can afford to lose. And you can read more about the risks and the possible opportunities in bank stocks in FT Money with The Weekend FT. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to our new address, money at ft.com. And you can also now read the latest news every weekday on our website, ft.com forward slash money, where you can also listen to audio podcast updates throughout the week. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Lucy, Steve and Charlene. Goodbye. Bye. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.